experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. I might be dating myself here, but do you remember the song? I think it was by Neil Sedaka. Breaking up is hard to do. Well, apparently, General Electric and Johnson & Johnson don't think so. Both companies announced last week that they would be breaking their companies up. In the case of Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J, which has been one of my core holdings since the beginning of time, they're going to separate its consumer health division from the rest of the company. One of the reasons I've liked J&J over the years is because of their diversified business model. You have the pharmaceuticals, which account for about 55% of J&J sales, the medical devices, which is about 28% of revenue. And then the consumer business, which is about 15% of sales. So after the split, J&J will consist of the pharma and the medical device business. And the new company will be the consumer health products. Things like Band-Aid, Tylenol, Listerine, Neutrogena, the list goes on and on. This announcement was like a surprise party that you knew was coming, but you just didn't know when. They've been considering this breakup for several years now, and I guess they figured, now is the right time. Obviously, management and shareholders, well, they're both hoping this is going to unlock value. Typically, big conglomerates, they trade at a discount because, well, they're big and they're bulky. And then you have, for example, a drug stock investor who wants a drug stock, not a drug, medical device, and consumer products stock. Investors can go out and invest in what they think is their best or the cheapest business in each of these categories and not have to deal with the parts that they don't want. So when they are all typically together, investors want to pay less for them because they're getting stuff that they don't want. So does splitting the company up make sense? To me, yes. I agree with management's assessment that breaking up will allow both the new companies to operate with more focus and agility. Not that it was greatly impeded in the past, but these are different types of businesses. For example, the consumer products business, it's a business that'll likely grow at the rate of, that the economy does, plus or minus. They make shampoo and Band-Aids. You probably can't get people to shampoo their hair more often than they do now, and you certainly don't want to encourage people to cut themselves. This type of business is going to be driven more so by marketing and advertising and to a lesser degree, innovation. Now, with that said, it will be a steadier type of business that's more predictable, produces stable cash flows from which they could pay the healthy dividends. Because it's predictable, investors should be willing to pay more for it. Think of it this way. Johnson & Johnson trades at 16 times this year's earnings. A consumer products business like, oh, say, Procter & Gamble, symbol PG, P&G trades at more like 24 times earnings. So that's a big difference. Now, will the new J&J consumer business have a multiple like P&G? Yeah, I don't know. 
We'll see. Obviously, the pharma and the medical devices business are going to be more alike. They're going to put more of their capital towards R&D, research and develop, looking to drive growth into the future. You know, wouldn't surprise me to see them split these two up in the future too. At this point, does it make a lot of sense to play the what if game? Because this game is, or this breakup isn't going to happen for at least another year and a half. So I'm not going to worry too much about it. But right now, J&J is trading at about 16 times earnings, which over the last 10 years is closer to the bottom of the range than the top. And it's well below where the market's trading at. So if I didn't own it already, I'd be a buyer here. It also fits nicely in with my thinking that the market as a whole is going to offer less in the way of returns, especially compared to the last three or four years. If that's true, then buying quality businesses that pay a decent dividend is probably going to be a smart move. If I was playing the overweight, underweight game that a lot of these analysts play, I'd be overweight things like the financials in healthcare. As for the financials, eh, they look fairly priced to me. But if you think interest rates are going up, as many people do, they may prove to be undervalued longer term. The Fed did announce that they were tapering their purchases of bonds, both treasuries and mortgage backs, at about a $15, a $15 billion rate. If that stays steady, well, they should be done by midsummer. So let's talk tapering and what it means. You hear a lot about it, but some of you may not understand how it works. Let me give you a quick rundown if you don't understand. What happened is the Fed gobbled up trillions of dollars worth of treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities since the onset of the pandemic. That's called quantitative easing, QE as they say. They went out and they bought bonds with dollars. So those dollars end up in the financial system. They do that to lower longer-term interest rates, keep financial conditions loose and help spur demand. Very similar to the playbook that they used following the 2007, 2000 to 2009 financial crisis. It was buying about $80 billion worth of treasuries and about $40 billion uh, in mortgage-backed securities each month. Again, when they do this, they're pumping money into the system. By buying bonds, they're putting money back into the system. Since they started, the Fed's balance sheet has almost doubled. It's at about $8.6 trillion now, and that was from $4.4 trillion at the start of the pandemic. Basically, there's a lot of money in the system, in my opinion, too much. And it can cause problems like inflation, excessive risk-taking, and so on. And as I said, they're going to slow down on their purchases, slow down putting money into the system. They do, uh, they do want to stop it, but they don't want to do it all at once because if they do, well, that would just send the markets into a tizzy. So they're weaning the market off of this excess liquidity to get to the point where they can raise interest rates. Most people who watch this are expecting at least one interest rate hike next year, if not more. Got that? Okay, back to my point, the financials, specifically the banks. 
again, this is a very high level explanation and hopefully I can make it make sense to you. Banks borrow short term and they lend long term. Borrowing short term, you can think of it as you put your money in the bank and if it's a savings account, they give you almost nothing on your money. And if it, you go in and you buy a CD, CD, then they pay you almost nothing and then just a little bit more. Then they take that money, which right now costs them very little, and they lend it out longer term. Think mortgages. And they lend it out at, say, a 3% mortgage. Hypothetical, of course. It's all hypothetical. For the sake of argument, let's just say they borrow your money at a half a percent. And then they turn around and lend it out in a 3% mortgage. That means they earn 2.5% doing this. If interest rates are going up, that spread, that net interest rate margin expands and the banks earn more money. That's the theory. If you've been listening for a while, you know my favorites here are U.S. Bancorp, symbol USB, Goldman Sachs, symbol GS, Berkshire Hathaway, symbol BRK's, uh, BRKB. I buy the B shares, not the A shares. Of course, it's not a bank, but I consider it a financial. I like Visa, symbol V. But I'm not going to argue too much with you if you want to own something like a Bank America, a Citigroup, a JP Morgan, Bank America, symbol BAC, Citigroup, symbol C, JP Morgan, JPM. On the healthcare side of things, we've already talked about, well, or just talked about J&J, but also Regeneron, symbol R-E-G-N, which I wouldn't buy now. I mentioned it about a month ago, and since then, it's just been on a tear. So I'd wait to add on, on Regeneron. But there are other names like United Healthcare, symbol UNH. If that pulled back to about, I don't know, 425, I'd add to it. Right now, it's about 450, 460. I like Unum, symbol UNM, UNM, which I haven't mentioned in a long time. Unum is an insurance company that provides, among other things, employee benefits. You know, when it's enrollment season, so you go in and you're filling out your forms and then you you buy the dental coverage, the long-term disability, those types of things. Well, it may be coming from Unum. This stock trades at about four or five times earnings, which is ridiculously cheap. Historically, it trades more like eight to 10 times earnings and it pays darn near a 5% dividend. What's also interesting about Unum is before the uh, pandemic, they used part of their cash flow not only to pay the dividend, that nice 5% dividend, but they used it to buy back a significant amount of stock. And significant, meaning they were buying back about 5% of their own shares every year. I would suspect that eventually when things are a bit more stable, they'd start doing that again. Who knows? But I'd be a buyer around 26 or lower. But you have to do your own research and see if any of these ideas make sense for you. You just don't take my word for it. Okay, I've run out of time. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But during that time, it'll be Thanksgiving. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday. And remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing.
listen to the show, now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.